Welcome to the Total Car Score Podcast, bringing you the world of cars from inside the car. And now your hosts, Carl Brower, Lauren Fix, and Javier Mota. So here we are back again with the Total Car Score Podcast with uh, Carl Brower and Lauren Fix. Uh, the end of August almost, and like... These past six months have been crazy. I was telling Carl right before we started that a year ago I was flying to Chile to go skiing. Now we're here. I've been traveled for six months. How are you guys? How are you, Carl? Yeah, I'm doing well. And I was telling you exactly the same kind of thing with my one year ago today. I was standing at the uh, Pebble Beach Concours on uh, August 21st, 2019, all dressed to the nines uh, with everyone else walking around all those uh, multi-million dollar cars on a beautiful Monterey coastal day with hundreds, actually, sorry, thousands, tens of thousands of other people. And uh, well, we just can't do those kind of things right now, skiing in uh, Chile or uh, walking the uh, course at Monterey, uh, Pebble Beach. It's It's unfortunate. I think I saw you and your lovely wife last year at one of the events, Mercedes or something, we talked but yes. Uh, yep. Yeah, my husband and I go every year as well. Yeah. And it's funny because this is my 40th year of racing and I can't race and it's terrible. So they just canceled the Watkins Glen race. Uh, that is a huge vintage race, typically somewhere around 400 cars. Um, last year wasn't a great year for me. I got hit twice in one race weekend, but uh, either way, it's sad that it's come down to this and we're all kind of trapped at home. But uh, I, I was surprised that um, race, um, at least NASCAR, is, was the first organized sport that came back pretty strong. So why cannot you race? Like people are not doing like individual events or wh- wh- why is that? It's it's uh, New York State because the Watkins Glen uh, is oh, not, okay. is that that's the big issue. So if you are a race team from out of state, you have to be here for two weeks uh, for COVID, you know, making sure that you're clean, if, especially if you're one of the states that New York has designated as an issue. And if you drive in and you try to skirt the issue and they catch you, there's a fine. So and they want everyone to slim down their crews. And when you're talking about some of these cars that require four or five people to, to operate it, like an Audi R10, it's not just one guy who jumps in and starts it. You need a whole team of people to start it and maintain it. That's where there's a problem. Yeah, so I guess it's official. We really missed Pebble Beach. We missed the travel, <laughs> the racing. We miss all the all the fun events that we used to be able to do and not even think about it. And now it's this big production to see if you're even allowed to today. I think I've been predicting for years that this wasn't going to last forever, but I didn't expect it to end this way. Or for this reason, right? I mean, like you pro- exactly. You yeah. probably would have thought that it would have been financial things, but I, actually the industry was doing pretty well right before this. And like just the budgets that go into these events are crazy, but uh now, I don't think, I mean, I don't know. Nobody knows, I guess, but I mean, like, give me your predictions. But uh, where will be one year from now? I think that we're not going to be traveling until June, it looks like. I was just talking to one of the manufacturers who said they've been trying to plan 2021, but they are concerned because sales are down, which means profits are down, which means they don't want to spend a lot of money, which is kind of backwards to basic marketing when things are bad you promote and when things are great you can maintain but they tend to do the opposing and they were thinking they're just going to keep sending cars out to people as outlets disappear and a lot of our friends find other jobs and other careers i think it's going to change a lot 
Yeah, I uh, sadly, I think I agree with you, uh, Lauren. And I think there are two big variables that are going to play out in the next, you know, six to 12 months, really just six months. And that is, of course, the presidential election and the vaccine. And both of those are going to have a huge impact on the economy in general and the coronavirus uh, reaction specifically. So that's what we're going to have to kind of be watching for. And I think we'll know a lot more by, say, January 15th between the election and the uh, vaccine kind of ETA on how confident when it'll when it will arrive. Yeah. And actually, two uh, two issues that are, <laughs> let's say, kind of complicated, right? Right. Yeah, that's putting it nicely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, Carl, but you did have an event this week from from what I heard. Right. Tell us about it. Yeah, it was really interesting that the manufacturers are trying to figure out how to continue to do something with cars and automotive journalists, but not get in trouble for breaking social distancing rules. And uh, Honda very creatively decided to rent out the Rose Bowl in Pasadena uh, and allow 12 Honda Odysseys to drive into there and right onto the field and then have kind of marked areas for each of them to park so that there was a set distance between all of them. And as a result, there were myself and 11 other automotive journalists, often with their family, most of them bringing some kind of family members with them for the minivan point and driving into there and parking and having a set up area where the minivan sits, where there's a little kind of uh, covering area and some seats. And then of course, pizza and food and some games and, um, did the technical briefing on the vehicle, then sat and watched uh, the live action version of The Lion King on uh, the big giant screen inside the Rose Bowl. And it was really effective. It felt like an automotive journalism event. I mean, on, on in most ways, it was weird because there were people there that I never really saw or talked to because they were on the other side of the field and they were too far away to know for sure. You know, it's like, I think I recognize so-and-so from the other side of this football field, but I can't really tell. Uh, but the bottom line is we all got time in the car and we got discussions directly from the people who helped create the car at the manufacturer level. And uh, we kind of had this semi-shared experience, which is what most automotive press launches for new vehicles are like. Um, it was still a little different, but mostly it was effective and fun. And uh, Lauren, you had like your own little event at home, right? I understand like you you had like two cars delivered to your driveway. Yes. I mean, most people have, because I live out in, in way away from the major cities, that uh, like in California, they had something in LA and you did something in Miami and they had Detroit. They were bringing the Genesis GV80 and the Genesis G80 out for a first look. And of course, initially they say you can't drive it, you can't move it, they're going to park it and you can do whatever. Um, I had it brought over to where we restore cars. My husband and I have a restoration facility and we parked it on the grass and the guy says, park it. So I got a chance to drive it a little bit. Shh, don't oh, you did Don't tell it. anyone. Yeah. So I drove it around <laughs> no the cul-de-sac. It's in an in industrial park. So I drove around the cul-de-sac to get some footage of the camera at the wheel. Um, but the first look we'll have posted soon of both GV80 and G80. But it was great because I got a chance to see it and spend a couple hours with it, actually from like 10 in the morning to like 2 in the afternoon. So that was great. Yeah, we had a similar event here in Miami, but we did not drive it. Although back in January, when they have the initial global debut of the GV80, the SUV, 
I was a passenger in one of them, and uh, I was really impressed back then, and I was really impressed uh, last week when I saw it again, uh, along with the G80, the sedan. And uh, we're going to talk about that in the next segment, because uh, we're going to talk about luxury, about the cars that we're driving this week, but uh, specific about Genesis, because, I mean, this is the newer, the newest uh, luxury brand that... Uh, have come to market and in my opinion they're doing everything right so we'll see how it goes uh so we're going to take a little break and we can all well here we are back with the car bar and lauren fix and as we were saying, Lauren and Carl, um, I don't know if, Carl, you have had a chance to see the cars or drive them, like, secretly, like Lauren did <laughs> this week. Uh, but uh, in general, and if not, like, what, what, what do you think about Genesis? I mean, like, this brand, which is a spin-off of uh, the Hyundai Group, has been in the market for about five years now, and four of them has been number one in quality, like J.D. Power Initial Quality Study and many other awards. So what, what, what are they doing right? Well, they've done a great job of leveraging kind of the same recipe that Hyundai has leveraged successfully and increasingly, especially in the last 10 plus years, which is to offer incredible value for the money and to have a level of equipment and a level of performance and a level of kind of technology and safety that you would have to pay more for at a comparable brand. And Hyundai has been doing that successfully in the kind of volume brands. So Hyundai versus something like Toyota or Ford or Honda. And now Genesis is doing the same thing in the luxury level, going up against Mercedes, BMW, Audi, Lexus, those kind of brands. So it's really an impressive uh, kind of rinse and repeat process that they've done with their volume brand now for, for Genesis. I think maybe the one misstep that they had when they launched, of course, was that they didn't have any SUVs. And by then the SUV world had taken over. But I think that happened so quickly that they had scheduled the launch of the brand. The brand had... Um, you know, sedans to offer, didn't have SUVs. And then by the time the brand actually was hitting the market, the SUV thing had become so obviously where the market was going. So they've had to spend a few years spinning up the SUV product. Now they're available. They're starting to roll out. You guys have been closer to them than I have. Uh, hoping to get in, get in them myself soon. But I'm just assuming, and you guys can confirm, that they're following, again, same pattern, offering a lot of SUV features, capabilities, luxury uh, technology for less than comparable luxury SUVs. Yeah, I think one of the key uh, the keys to their success is the people, obviously. I mean, they have hired uh, like the best of the best from, from other companies. I was talking to Jose Munoz, who now leads uh, the global uh, Hyundai group. And I was telling him that I compare that to like a soccer team. Like they have hired the best players from all over the place. Like uh, Luke uh, Dunker Walker, the designer. Um, what's uh, his name? Uh, the BMW engineer. Um, I'm forgetting his name uh, right now. He came from, he was uh, the head of BMW M. But any, uh, anyway, I think the people are being the key. And they have the formula, as you said. Like I, I think they had the resources and then they said, okay, let's bring in the people. And like, how we're going to do it. Right, Lauren? Right. You know, it's it's funny with Genesis, you can see that sort of origami design 
And the interesting part about the new G80 and the GV80 is they share the same platform. So naturally, you would think, oh, Genesis Hyundai, it's a Palisade underneath, but it's not. And that they shared a lot of components as I went back and forth between the two cars. I, I noticed that there was an interesting sharing of interfaces, of center screens, and maybe they were placed into the dash differently, but they were definitely uh, a lot of similarities. Yeah, I, I really like that, that kind of uh, controls and uh, not only the, the, the functionality, but the touch, everything that is supposed to be metal, it's metal. Everything that is wood is wood. The leather is like really high quality. Like every little detail that they put in every aspect of the car is uh, like top, top quality. And by the way, I was talking about Albert Bugman before, the chief engineer who came from BMW M division. And now it's like the chief engineer for the whole Hyundai group. And like he and, and Luke and everybody else have done a, a really great job. And as Carl was saying, I think the formula of including a lot or everything, pretty much, there are no options. Like the, the cars are like, incredibly well equipped and like if you compare like let's say in case of the g80 which is comparable to the e-class the bmw 5 series the audi a5 it would be a i think it would be a6 it would be a6 oh the a6 but the price difference could be like twenty thousand dollars oh yeah i mean it's going to be dramatic i mean the starting price i think is what like forty eight thousand on the gv80 and that's an suv that goes up against X uh, Q7 or, you know, I think it would be the X8, I think it would be for, for BMW. But when you're looking at a Mercedes, you know, GLS, I mean, I think it is a lot of Bentley qualities to it. I noticed that right away, it just had that almost that kind of look. Remember, these, these German engineers go from manufacturer to manufacturer, and they leave their mark on their design. And you see that continuing after they leave. And uh, because obviously, they plan so far in advance, it's interesting to see a lot of German features. A few, I found two little minor things I'd like to see on the GV80, but overall, this is not a final production piece, but I was pretty impressed. Well, I'm looking forward to finally getting in them because it does sound like they're impressive vehicles. And, you know, I think Hyundai, don't forget, they've got a real advantage because they've been making premium cars for their home market in South Korea for a long time. So there was really no question that they wanted to and had the ability to bring luxury vehicles to the u.s market they've got a lot of experience there and uh i think you're right javier all they did to kind of crank that up was take their existing experience roll in some of the best people uh, from different divisions of vehicle design and engineering to serve as their you know guidance on uh, the new market the u.s market and the result has been very effective. Yeah, and uh, you were mentioning the other brands of the group. Uh, so recently we we saw the K5, uh, the sedan from Kia. And uh, in Korea, they have different ones. Like they have a like K5, 6, 7, and they had a K9. They could not name the K9 here in the U.S. for obvious reasons. But, <laughs> but uh, that was another really impressive car. And then my question to you, both of you, is like, uh, is, is the luxury logo or brand uh, definition worth the money? Because if you ask me, like the, the gap between a well-equipped K5 and uh, an equivalent Lexus or Genesis for what it is, I mean, it's, I mean, the base, the base car for the luxury brand compared to the top, regular brand car 
it's not that big anymore. And then like the price difference can be big. Right. And insurance as well. Think about the savings. And if, if you people that buy some of these vehicles, buy it sometimes to show success. You're a real estate agent or a lawyer or a doctor or whatever, and you want to impress your friends when you go to the country club sometime, or you want to say you've got your first big job and you want to impress yourself, your parents, that would be something that uh, a car like that would, would fit that need or an SUV would fit that need. And so there's still a lot of demand for those high label brands, but you're right. When you're looking at the price point, it makes people think twice. Although the Germans have a very loyal following, but people that are buying entry-level German cars would easily switch. Agreed. And I think that's where we're at right now is it's got to be uh, an ownership experience thing, like the way the dealership treats you and things like, you know, loaner cars when you bring the car in for service and and also just the prestige you're broadcasting. Now, those have always been true of luxury brands, but I think we'd all agree there also used to be a, a, a verifiable change in the ownership experience when you were driving the car. Like the, the car experience used to be vastly superior in a luxury car versus not. And I think that's what you're getting at, Javier, is that you go get a well-equipped Honda Accord or the new uh, Kia K5 sedan. And if it's if it's a higher trim level one with leather and a lot of the latest technology, you're like, okay, this feels every bit as luxurious as a car that would cost a substantial amount more and not feel particularly more luxurious once I was out driving it. Uh, and I think I've thought that for years, you know, this has really put a lot of pressure on the luxury brands because, you know, if you're, if you tend to be fairly focused on value and what you pay and what you get, like I do, it's hard to look at a lot of these luxury brands and be like, yeah, yeah, I got to go get the the, the luxury version, because that's where I'm going to really, you know, enjoy myself. It's like, it's kind of the opposite. It's like, I don't know why I'm paying for this extra money uh, and for this badge, because besides the badge, the other car has given me everything I need. Uh, as Lauren was saying before, like people try to impress uh, with their cars or possessions or whatever. And I call Miami the world's capital of the $40,000 a year salary millionaires. <laughs> there are a lot of people here who are like up to their necks in debt, but they're driving their Mercedes, their BMWs, and all those kind of fancy cars. And another car that, or another brand actually, that has surprised me a lot in the past few years, for, for a long time now, I have to say five, 10 years, is Mazda. This week, I also had the Mazda 6, the signature version, which is the top of the, of the line. And this car for $35,400 uh, had, had everything, all the technology. I mean, maybe, not, maybe didn't have like the huge screen like some of the other Mercedes-Benz or Teslas or whatever. But it was a beautiful car. I mean, really good looking uh, outside, inside, really good quality materials inside. And the drive experience was really well. And again, $35,400. So Mazda is another brand that people should take a look when they're like shopping around. Right. That's Kia and Hyundai, I think both, and, and Mazda. I think they're overlooked brands sometimes if you're thinking, oh, I want something premium because not everyone follows this industry like we do. I mean, we literally drive every single thing out there from, as I always say, from high end to low end. Yeah, no, it's true. I think uh, I think if you're f focused on value, what you can get for under $20,000 today or certainly under $30,000 is pretty amazing. And uh, if you really want to have that luxury badge, you can get it, but it's going to, you're going to pay more and you, you better be able to justify it purely on the image and the status that you're transmitting because the actual advantage in terms of driving experience and luxury, you know, treatment, it's not going to be very much better. 
I remember when the K9 came out, the Kia K9 uh, first, like five years ago, and uh, the Maserati Ghibli came out pretty much at the same time, and both were $65,000. So you will ask people, which car would you get, the, the most expensive Kia or the cheapest Maserati? And here in Miami, Maserati was the answer, always. Except for some of the problems you have with it. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's, yeah. And that's the other thing too, Lauren, like you just said, is a lot of these luxury brands, they just take such a hit on resale value. I mean, you know, if you spend $35,000 for a loaded Accord and you lose 40% of its value in three years, well, you're, you're losing like, you know, $15,000, right? But if you spend 60 grand uh, on a three series and you lose 40%, you know, now you're losing 20,000, 20 plus thousand dollars, you know, $24,000. So, uh, it starts to be a lot of money that vanishes in depreciation when you go up the, uh, luxury uh, ladder. And again, that's kind of the point. The point is, ha, huh, but I can afford it because I'm wealthy. So I don't care. That's what you're telling everyone when you buy those cars. But to me, that's a tough nut to swallow that kind of depreciation. Now a two to three year old CPO luxury car, all right, now we're talking. Now you're getting a lot of great value. I agree. That's the smartest thing to do. If, if you want all of it, you want everything. The best way to do it is buy a certified pre-owned to pick your brand and buy it from that dealer. In other words, if you're looking at a Mercedes, don't go to an Audi dealer. You're going to get your best value and your best warranty by going to that Mercedes dealer because they know what they're selling. And everything's been updated. The problem is buying it from another brand. They're just going to give you that 90-day warranty and have a nice day. So be careful on things like that. Okay, we're going to take a second break here, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the used car market, which is exploding during the pandemic for different reasons, and also about the debut of yet another ultra, what do you want to call it, like uh, supercharged, whatever, pickup truck, the TRX. Completely, completely unnecessary. That's a good way to call it. Powerful. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's the other kind of luxury, but in a pickup trucks, which uh, I'm going to think is going to be um, maybe $100,000. We'll talk about it when we come back. Hmm. Okay, we're back here at the Total Car Score podcast with Carl Brower and Lauren Fix, and uh, we're going to talk about um, a little bit more about used cars because the used car market is exploding, and I, I guess it's like different factors, some created by COVID, some created by the, all the problems that the industry has had. But uh, why is a good time now to buy a used car uh, now, Carl? Well, it's like you said, there are people who are buying cars that had no plan to buy a car because they used to take public transportation. And for fairly obvious reasons, public transportation doesn't hold the same appeal it did for a lot of these people uh, six months ago compared to now. So you have a kind of new entire segment of the population considering used cars. And of course, used cars have a much higher transaction rate every year. You know, you'll sell 15 to 17 million new cars in a given year, but you'll sell 40 to 50 million used cars will ch change hands during that same year. So there's a lot of used car activity always going on under normal circumstances. And you've just had it get cranked up by people who have realized, okay, I need a car, 
but a lot of these people they're not particularly car fans they have they don't really have a passion for cars they're seen as a very functional replacement for an otherwise functional form of transportation on a bus or a subway uh so i think that's one of the reasons you've seen it crank up and then the other thing of course is just new cars have had a lot of incentives placed on them to try to keep their sales going in the downturn and that reduces the price potentially of used cars because when a new car is cheaper Anytime you can buy a new versus used and the new car is dropping in price or it's easier to buy because of incentives, that just puts more pressure on used car prices. The flip side to that somewhat, of course, again, being higher demand for people who don't want new, they want used. And that has and, and also just the ability to move cars around. Uh, new and used car supplies have been somewhat crimped because it's hard to build as many new cars when you've had to have a reduction in, you know, social distancing and all these things going on in the plants that's reduced kind of capacity to make new cars. Um, and that when you have new car crimp in, uh, you know, you know, restricted supply, used cars will start to go back up in value because you can't buy a new car as easily and the, and the prices of those are going up because of supply issues. So it's kind of a lot of forces playing in here, but the bottom line is, more people are buying cars in general and used cars specifically than were a year ago. Yeah, it's interesting to see that the uh, used car market is so strong. It's about 10 to 15% up. And if you want a new car and you've got a lease and you're thinking, well, you know, my lease is due in like six months, don't be surprised if the dealer contacts you and tries to get you into a newer car quicker, get you out of that lease because those certified pre-owned cars, like the one you may have, that maybe you didn't use all the mileage that you paid for. Maybe you bought 15000 a year, but you maybe only used ten or 12. And that happens sometimes. People's situation changes, especially with COVID, you know, or maybe I was driving a lot. It hasn't moved at all. In the last six months, you're way under mileage. They want those cars because there's a resale market for them and they're going to make a huge profit and then get you into one of the new vehicles where there's minimal incentives available right now. If you really want a new car, I tell people, wait, just give it to like October when they start catching up and then the incentives will return. But anything that's really hot, like a Bronco, there's no discount. Matter of fact, you'll probably be over sticker on something like that. Okay, speaking about that, and we mentioned Ram 1500 TRX, we debuted this week, and they launched 702 launch edition models that went from $92,010. They sold out in three hours. So there's people who really want a car that will like just take it and pay for it. Again, like as you said, Carl, like nobody, I mean, it seems like nobody will need this kind of truck, but a lot of people want it. Yeah, it's hilarious when you think about it. I mean, they made 702 to celebrate the uh, 702 horsepower that this truck is going to offer. So you now have a 700 plus horsepower truck uh, that's not just meant for towing things up steep hills. You know, you'd think, well, that kind of horsepower can really haul a lot. It can, but the reason they've done this is they've combined it with a very advanced uh, suspension travel and a really uh, beefed up chassis for high speed uh, travel over rough terrain. And of course, this was inspired by a longstanding uh, off-road racing capable truck, which was from Ford called the Raptor. And Ford's been making those vehicles for about 10 years now and really successfully selling them because they were the only thing like that in the marketplace. And I, a lot of people, myself included, have been wondering, you know, guys, if you want to just hand that segment entirely to Ford for a decade, that's your choice. But it seems like there might be room for another truck in there, especially given how well 
even used Raptors, we're talking about used car prices, used Raptors are crazy. They just, they don't drop in value. You still pay a lot of money for a 10 year old first year, uh, 2010 Ford Raptor because they hold their value because they're considered such unique, desirable vehicles with those capabilities. Finally, Ram, you know, part of uh, FCA decided to step up. We'd been hearing rumblings about this idea for a while. And uh, yeah, they just unleashed it uh, right here in, in uh, mid-August. And uh, now we've got another truck besides the Raptor for people who are into high-performance off-road racing capable trucks to consider. And they cranked up the horsepower you know, from 450, I believe, is what the Raptor is offering to the over 700. And I, and I like the naming convention too, right? The Raptor has had this cool-sounding Raptor name. Everything goes back to Jurassic Park, as we know. And so they went with TRX or t-rex because uh, what's the one dinosaur that was not scared of the raptor of course so lauren would you race in one of this uh, I, I, as far as I, i'm not racing trucks that's not my thing at all i race sports cars I actually purpose-built race cars shall we say i'm at 850 in my race car so i think i'm i think i'm fine when you're doing over 190 at watkins Glen in a race car, a purpose-built race car, you know, full harnesses and all. It's a different story. But a lot of these cars, you're not going to drive that fast. I mean, these are off-road runs. You've got lots of different kinds of resistance, whether it be sand or gravel and such. But, you know, there are, most people are never going to drive that speed. You have to have some sort of skill. Uh, as we all know that, you know, we've all get these opportunities sometimes to ride with these pro racers. Other pro racers, we have a rule we don't ride with each other because it becomes a show-off. Oh, yeah? Let me show you how fast I am, you know? that's not good that's how people get hurt so i mean I, overall i think the trucks are cool i think the raptor's awesome but think how many vehicles are being made in the last 10 years hold their own value hold significant value that the resale is there and especially in a truck you might see it in like a porsche or a ford gt or a certain specific mustang or or a hellcat or something along those lines but that's not typical in most vehicles and it's certainly not typical when it comes to trucks yeah, but like as as we were saying, I mean, I mean, the 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 amount of people who buy these high high end uh, vehicles is small, but again, it's a, a segment of the market that they don't really do they really care about. I, I guess I should ask: Do they really care about like residuals and like how much they're gonna get? It? They just want it to have it and like enjoy it. And then like, I don't think they the people who buy these kind of vehicles don't buy them for financial reasons necessarily, right? No, as a matter of fact, that TRX sold out in three hours. Three hours. Every single one is gone. At over $90,000. And the regular, the regular quote-unquote T-Rex that's not that launch edition will quote-unquote only be $70,000. But that's still a chunk more than uh, what you're going to pay for the, the Raptor equivalent. And you're right, Javier. There are people out there, and all they do is they just, when they're going to buy any vehicle, they're like, what's the best one? What's the top line? How, what's the, they just go right to the most expensive uh, line on the uh, list of models and start specking and seeing what they can add to that. And we know a lot of people do that with trucks, like we've said, platinum versions of F-150s and you know, Longhorn versions of Rams and high country versions of Silverados. Those vehicles have all done more than enough volume and sales to justify their existence. And of course, the profit margins that automakers make on standard trucks, let alone these high-end versions, is one of the best ways for them to drive overall profits for the company. So these performance versions like the T-Rex and the Raptor, they're just an extension of that. They're just going to find that same buyer group that was already buying Limiteds and King Ranches and, and uh, Longhorns and High Countries, and now they're going to buy these. Uh, a lot of truck buyers are very 
very wealthy. They have the money to spend and they want to make sure that when they go to the rodeo or go drive their friends around their back 40 uh, acres, you know, that they have on a ranch, that they have not just a truck that gives them the functionality, but the best truck that shows off their uh, success. That's very common in the truck world. I remember uh, one executive from Mercedes AMG years ago in, in LA, they were telling us that the markets like LA, New York, Miami, Dallas are the best ones for them because, as you said, people go there and say, like, "How much is that one? A hundred? Okay, what else can you put on it? Okay, add another twenty-five thousand dollars in accessories, and and they just buy it because, yeah, they can. I mean, it's 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 a crazy, crazy, crazy segment. It's funny, you know, when you're looking at the truck market as a whole. And you're looking at the price point. I mean, you can build an F-150, load it up, and you could be easily close to $100,000, depending on what options you put on it. But then you start realizing the dealers know this, that there's a high demand. So what's the first thing they do? Yeah. They buy them and equip them the same way. And then they even ask over over MSRP. They'll ask over MSRP and still sell them. Right. And that's exactly what you're going to see. Because they're going, hey, the manufacturer's selling these out like crazy let's go ahead and jack up the price. That's what I think is going to happen. Yeah. And you're going to see big numbers, like anything else. You know what I mean? When you want a Bronco, the Bronco's going to be like yeah. that too. Two-door, four-door, sport, You're nobody's paying window sticker. And I have a rule. I never pay anything. I mean, I won't pay retail unless it's something super special. Like Carl and I have two special cars. We didn't have a choice. They had right. to go buy it. But every car should be have a little bit of negotiating space. But if you have a relationship with a dealer, they shouldn't be charging you over yeah. ask. But demand is demand, supply and demand. And, and the people want things, they're going to pay for it. So we're going to see next week what news we'll have. And maybe there's another debut coming up. Do you, got, do you guys know anything about coming up soon? See, I know Sentra is coming up. We, we already got the, the scoop on that. That's coming up. And other than that... I mean, I've got some vehicles. Oh, there's a reveal next week. I forgot about that. Next Thursday, we've got Jaguar F-Pace and the XF reveal. Yeah, nice, some nice high-end uh, vehicles. And those Jaguars had a lot of fun with those uh, performance versions uh, of their vehicles. So uh, hopefully they'll have some good news to report on what those what that vehicle's pulling numbers-wise. Well, so thank you very much again. And please, uh, just a quick re- reminder, the audience, where can people look for your stuff? Lauren and Carl. You can find me on all forms of social media at Lauren Fix, YouTube channel, Car Coach Reports. Yep. And I'm out there with just my name on most of these platforms, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, you just go to at Carl with a K, at Carl Brower, B-R-A-U-E-R, uh, also carlbrower.com. And same with me, Javier Mota all over the place. Uh, just Google me and you'll find me. Thank you very much. And we'll, we'll be with you next week again. Thank you for listening. For more, check us out online at TotalCarscore.com.